If you are able, please rise as we read God's word together and as we conclude the book of Malachi, chapter 4, to the conclusion. Hear the reading of God's word. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all the evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we and do give you thanks for the word that you've given to us. And in that word, you have told us that it will not wither or fade away, but it will stand firm, it will stand true, and it will mold and shape our lives. So fulfill that promise here, now, on this day. Mold us, shape us by your words. So carry the words that I have to these people here, not by my power, but by your power, that your name will be glorified, that it will be praised, and that we would know you more. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. In baseball... Yes, it's another sports illustration from Pastor Ryan. However, it's where I come from. In baseball, there are at least four important people on every play. Each of them has a job to perform in order for the game to continue. In order for the game to happen within the rules, each one of these four people has a role, a job to play. This is not PhD kind of stuff. I recognize that, but it's an easy and simple illustration. Nonetheless, the pitcher, his job, well, it's to pitch. Hence, pitcher. He throws the ball, right? Then we have the batter. You see how this goes, right? It's not really hard. The people that made these names were not, yeah. His job is to bat the ball, right? That's position number two. Number three, the catcher. You get the idea. His job is to catch the ball. And each one of these persons has to do their part. It has to play their role. But if you're paying attention, I said there were four people, not three. There's one more person, and his job is to umpire. I don't know where we get umpire umpire from, but it's not as easy as pitcher, batter, or catcher. His job is to umpire. His job is to try to tell everyone watching what's going on, whether or not the pitcher was successful at pitching the ball, to to show or to determine whether or not the batter was successful in batting the ball or, or the catcher was successful in catching the ball or not. This is his job. He's supposed to communicate something. He's supposed to make sure that things are followed and, and done correctly. He's in charge of the game. He's in charge of letting us know. We don't always like the umpires. (laughs) We don't always agree with what they have to say. We don't always agree with what their position is. But they have a job to do. There's a story about three umpires discussing how they approach their job. I don't know if there's fact in this 
little conversation or not. It seems to me that it's just a, a little conversation that was made up along the way. The first umpire says this as he's looking at the pitcher pitching the ball. He says, I calls them like I see them. The second one says, I calls them like they was. The third one says, they ain't calling nothing until I call them. These are actually three distinct ways of looking at a baseball game from an umpire's perspective. The first has a bit of a subjective approach, doesn't he? The third has a little bit of an arrogant approach, and most likely he's still umpiring Little League coach pitch games, because that's just not how you go about the job. The second umpire has it right. He calls them like they was. Not as how he interprets them or sees them, but as they are. And what the facts are, is it a strike, is it a ball, is he out or is he safe? This is his job. He calls them as they was. Malachi calls them like they was. After all, this is the role of the prophet, isn't it? Not just of Malachi, but all of the prophets, to call them like they was. Not subjectively, like somehow maybe, maybe it looks like this, maybe this is how I see it, so it looks like this. Or I'm the prophet, you just need to listen to me because I have all the power. No, he calls it the way it is. The facts. He's direct and to the point, as are most prophets. But the people of Israel have, have heard prophets provide similar stories, similar judgments. They've heard it many times over and over again in their course of history. And their pattern has been, well, we change for a little while and then we go back. And they remain the stiff-necked people. They would change for a time and they would return to their ways. They would go back to the old clothes that they received after they've already been given new ones. Or as the writer of Proverbs calls them, as a dog returns to its vomit. Malachi is calling them as they are. But there's also a plea. There is a plea to remember. The prophet is pleading, urging, begging with the people. Remember. Remember Horeb. Remember the wilderness. Remember the commandments. Remember your Lord. Remember your God. Remember that before you received these commandments, he's the one that took you out of slavery, out of Egypt, out of bondage, and brought you to himself. He's the one that made you a nation. He's the one that made you a holy nation, a nation of priests and kings. And he gave you a name. And he called you to himself. Remember. Remember this God. In other words, what is he saying? Remember to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, that's the first portion of what happened at Horeb, right? And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Remember what the Lord has done for you. Please remember. Remember to love him. Remember to love your neighbors. This is the plea of the prophet Malachi. Do you remember? Do you remember this God? But there's more to the remembering than just remembering the past. He's asking them to remember the promises of the past. He's asking them to remember the faith of their fathers, of what their fathers believed in and had faith in. And that promise was that there was going to be a Messiah, 
One to make things right. One to restore. One, one to usher in a day of reckoning. And, and, and one to reveal the love of the Lord God. Remember this promised Messiah. Remembering that there's going to also be a day of reversal. Things will, will change in this restoration and in this reckoning. The message of Malachi then is to call the people back. It's to call the people back to the Lord. Why? Because the day of the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming and it will be swift and it will be fierce. On the day of the Lord, there is a clear distinction that will be made. The distinction is between two types of people. Those that fear the Lord and those that do not. For those that do not fear the Lord, it will be a devastating day. A day of horror. A day of tragedy. But for those that fear the Lord, it will be a glorious and a wonderful day. A day to look forward to. A day to long for. So the question that is demanded of us to ask this morning, and the one that the prophet is asking of us this morning, Which of the distinctions do we fall into? Do we fear the Lord? Or do we not? The message of the prophet cannot and should not be watered down. Because he didn't water it down. He's asking the people, do you fear the Lord? Or do you not? If you do not, the day of the Lord is going to be a devastating day. If you do fear the Lord, it's a day you should hope for and expect and long. For those that do not fear the Lord, on the day of the Lord, they will experience a consuming fire. Last week we talked about a refining fire, a kind of fire that does not consume. You see, for those who do fear the Lord, the Lord does not consume. They may go through, we may go through trials and fires, but He doesn't destroy us. He doesn't annihilate us. He doesn't devastate us. But He uses these trials and these situations to to mold us and to to shape us and to make us into the kind of people that, that love Him and that He loves. But for those that do not fear the Lord, do you see the illustration that's in direct opposition to a refiner's fire that Malachi uses here in chapter 4? He calls it an oven. What, if you leave something in the oven too long on Thursday, what's going to happen? It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be devastated. It's going to be consumed. and It's not going to be worth anything. Malachi takes it one step further and he says, they will be like ash. They will be consumed to the extent that there will be ashes. He says, there will be no root. There will be no tree left. We see this illustration too well in our day and ages too, don't we? Of what this looks like as we look over our summers and we see California and Colorado and the, the wildernesses of the West are transformed by fire and devastated by fire. But for those that fear the Lord, it's a day of hope. It's a day when they will leap like cattle from the stall. We lose some of the biblical illustrations in 
a modernized Western industrial world. But I can assure you, if you've ever seen young calves that are born in the winter, that are stuck in a stall in the cold of winter, because this is usually when calving is done, and in the springtime when the barn is opened and they see green grass and a whole new world is opened up to them, I'm not going to always encourage us to YouTube, but I guarantee you, you can find a YouTube video on calves leaping from a barn in the springtime. And it is hilarious. And it is wonderful. They don't act like cows. They act like calves that are leaping and jumping and they, they can't control themselves with excitement. This is the day of the Lord for those that fear the Lord. From the darkness of winter, from the cold of snow, the sun now beams and shines forth, and the doors are open, and they leap, and we leap with joy. This is what the day of the Lord is like. It's a day of hope. But what does that hope look like, according to Malachi? It looks like a day of restoration. We see that in verses 1 to 2. It also looks like a day of reckoning. We see that in verses 3 to 5, and then it also looks like a day where we hope in a reversal that we see in verse 6. But there's something strange about the day of the Lord. Do you ever wonder why over the last few weeks we chose to preach through Malachi here and now? Perhaps you put two and two together. Perhaps you didn't even think about it. But just to be clear, Advent starts next Sunday. Christmas is right around the corner. It means that we're headed into the Christmas season and, and we long for and we look forward to Christmas, don't we? Kids out there, I, I know my kids are already asking, hey, I want this for Christmas, I want this for Christmas. Circled things in catalogs, hey, I want this. It's something that we look forward to. It's, we long for it. And we have to wait four weeks. And some of us have a really hard time waiting four weeks, myself included, for Christmas. It seems like a long time. We have to wait four weeks for the day of the Lord. The people of Israel here in Malachi heard these words, and they didn't have to wait four weeks. They had to wait 400 years for the day of the Lord. That's a long time, 400 years. So let's just put some perspective on what 400 years looks like. So 400 years ago, from 2021, puts us at 1621, if my calculator and my phone was correct, or roughly one-fifth of the time from the time that Jesus walked on the earth in his earthly ministry until now. Or perhaps we can look at it this way. It's widely considered that the first meeting between the Native Americans and English colonists was 1621. It's also widely considered that in March of 1620, or I'm, I'm sorry, at this roughly time in the, in the fall, in the harvest of 1620, 1621, the first Thanksgiving was celebrated. Timely, right? You get the idea. There's a lot that can happen in 400 years. A lot of waiting that could happen in 400 years. A lot of silence from the Lord in 400 years. 400 years of silence. 400 years of anticipation. 400 years of hope. 400 years of longing. This is the tension that greets us over the next four weeks. There's been a word, but now there's been silence for 400 years and over these next four weeks. This is what we now anticipate. We have the same anticipation, the same longing. When? 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 When is it coming? When is it coming? 
When is it coming? This week, Dad? This week, Mom? Is Christmas tomorrow? No, you have another week. You have another three weeks. Oh! This is the tension that we feel. This is the tension that's going on between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years. And as we await the day of the Lord, the Lord says he'll send a prophet Elijah before that day. But the prophet Elijah that Malachi is talking about here at the end of his message is not, is, is, is not Jesus, it's actually John the Baptist. And we have this from Matthew chapter 11, that the prophet that fulfills this prophecy is indeed John the Baptist. But we also know that John was a prophet, and prophets are to point the calm as they are. And he's the voice crying out in the wilderness, calling them as they are, heralding in the Messiah. John the Baptist does not fulfill the day of the Lord. He just calls them as they are. John has a similar message of Malachi. In chapter 3, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat in the barn but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is New Testament language echoing Malachi. Dread for those who do not fear the Lord. Hope for those that do. So if this is the message of all the prophets, what does that have for us today? What does this hope look like for us today? Because we're neither in the Old Testament or in the New. Or excuse me, in the intertestamental period but on this side of the cross. So what does this have to do with us? How does Malachi 4 have any say on our lives today? It should have us looking, remembering, longing for the day of the Lord. To long for Christmas. To long for four weeks from now when the day of the Lord arrives. And so I want us all to see this hope very clearly this morning. So turn back into Malachi chapter 4 with me and go into verse uh, 2, 1 and 2 with me of Malachi chapter 4 where we see a hope of restoration. In order to fully communicate this great divide between those that have hope and those that do not, the prophet picks up on the illustration that he spoke spoke of in the last chapter and that I briefly touched on already here this morning. Last week we saw that, that he was refining fire. Not a consuming fire, but a refiner of our lives. Someone that, that heats us up with trials and tribulations only to cause us to be more pure and lovely on the other side. There may be indeed a fire, but it will not consume those that fear the Lord. But for those that do not fear the Lord, the prophet uses the illustration of a blaze. The kind of blaze that does indeed consume. A blaze that does not leave any of the branch or root, but rather demolishes, chars, incinerates the entirety of the wood. It consumes it all. And I touched on this already this morning as well, but we know this kind of fire. Next summer, we will hear once again of forest fires in the mountains of California and Colorado, and they'll be ravaged by fires. And these fires will consume acre upon acre upon acre upon acre upon acre of forest. We know about these fires. But what do you know about forest fires? 
They're actually good for the forest. Not so good for subdivisions and golf courses and houses, but they're good for the forest. It's good that it be restored. This day of reckoning is good for the forest. They are extremely beneficial. They release the seeds inside the pine cones. That's how they get out of the pine cone, that the fire opens them up. It allows new trees to grow. It allows the sun to to shine on them. It allows the rain to get to their roots. It allows an opening and it allows a a new day to nourish the soil and for younger and healthier trees to grow and to, to, to sprout and to grow. This is the similar scene here in Malachi chapter 4. Amidst the consuming blaze the Lord has for those that do not fear His name, there is something else that is happening at the very same time. There is a hope. A hope for a better future. A healthier forest. A forest that has been restored. Here Malachi says that for those that fear the Lord, they do not face the consuming fire of the Lord, but rather they leap or that they reap the restoration of a warming sun. Just as a young sapling tree reaps the benefit of the sun and the rain to nourish its new growth, so too is the day of the Lord as it restores our lives and allows the sun to shine on us and to give us new growth and new life. And kind of force that the Lord desires the kind of force with the kind of people that fear the Lord. In a land marked by the restoration of the Lord's fire. Not by destruction, but by a refining fire. It's this sun, the sun of righteousness that shines down on God's people will provide comfort. The day of the Lord is a welcome day for those of the Lord. Have you ever been camping or spent the night outside when the weather's been cold? I have. Sometimes it's been fun. Sometimes it hasn't been so much fun. But there comes a time about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning where it's not quite morning yet and you're absolutely frozen to the bone. And all you long for is to see the sun creep over the horizon. You long for any kind of warmth of the sun. And it's all you can think about. You can't fall back asleep because you're freezing cold. And all you want is the sunshine for the dawn of the day to come and and welcome the warmth of what the sun has for us. And then, and then it happens, right? In your sleepless and restless state of freezing, you see it begin to rise. It peaks over the horizon. And then it peeks over the trees and shines into your tent or into your camper. And it hits your face. And there's nothing more glorious than to feel the rays of the sun's warmth upon your face. And this is the illustration that we're given here in Malachi chapter 4, isn't it? But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise. It shall rise with healing in its wings. As if an eagle soars over the creation and expands its rays of sunshine upon the people. And it heals. And it allows the new trees to grow. And it allows the saplings to thrive because the warmth of the healing that it provides is the healing of the restoration of the Lord. This fire, this love, this grace is the healing and the restoring of the Lord 
This is what it is all about for the people that fear the Lord. Friends, this is what the Son of God, the Son of Righteousness, does. This is what Jesus Christ does for us. I know that there are cold nights in the family rooms, in the bedrooms, in the lives of this church. I know there are moments of despair and heartache. I know there are moments of mourning and loss. I know there are deep troubles. I know that in these moments, the dark coldness of our brokenness captures us, holds us, and doesn't allow us to rest, keeps us up, and all we can think about is the cold. Just like at four or five o'clock in the morning when you're camping in the freezing weather. Where do we look? Where do we turn? Malachi says to look to the day of the Lord. To look to the Son of Righteousness. The Son that restores and heals. For He comes with healings in its wings to restore our souls, to restore our hope. So wherever you find yourself this morning, remember, return, and look to the Son of Righteousness For it is only in Him where we find true restoration. Not in other relationships, not in jobs, not in security. In Him. In Him alone is where we find hope and warmth and healing. When the rays of the Son of God and His grace spread over us, there's nothing more wonderful to feel that warmth, that healing and to be covered in his wings, under his pinions, as the psalmist says, and as he draws us near to himself and restores our hope and restores our soul. But then we go to verses 3 to 5. And it's almost as if Malachi can't help himself. He, he has to say more, doesn't he? It's, 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 he needs to, to issue very strong warnings to those who do not fear the Lord. For those that do fear the Lord, this is a wonderful moment. Imagine this sun of righteousness coming upon you and warming you and restoring you. This is who you are in the Lord. But if you are not in the Lord, be forewarned. Be forewarned. It's an urgent call to those people. It's an urgent call to tell tell those who are not remembering to remember. But there's something interesting about the activity of this remembering and about this particular call. Malachi, the prophet, who's he talking to? He's talking to the people of Israel. He's urging them to remember. To remember who the Lord is. To remember what the Lord has done. To remember His commandments. To remember all that He has done for them. In order to remember, you've had to have heard. In order to remember, you have had to know. There's a sense of accountability going on here as well. For the call to remember is a call to those who have heard the message. 
It's a call to those who once upon a time knew the Lord and feared the Lord, but now they no longer do. This call is going to the church. It's going to the people of Israel. He's talking not to the people outside of the church, not to the people in the big bad world out there somewhere that don't act like me, who don't think like me, who don't vote like me, who don't do these things like me. No, he's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to us. He's talking to the church. We have a tendency. I have a tendency to think in the other way. That the message like these, these hard messages from the prophets, is for the big bad world out there. He's not talking to me. He's not talking to us. Certainly not. He's talking to those people over there. Those are the people that will be burned up. Those are the people that will be like ash. Those are the people that will not have anything left of them on the day of the Lord. Those people out there that I don't know on the TV, on the internet, the bad people. But that's not the message. That's not who Malachi is talking to. The message is for those who have heard to remember. Remember the Lord your God who took you up out of the land of Egypt. Remember the Lord your God who gave you the Ten Commandments. Remember the Lord your God who took you out of Egypt and to himself, who gave you a land, who gave you a nation, who gave you a hope, who gave you himself. Remember, for there is a day of reckoning coming, and that day is met with the wrath of God's righteousness. I have wondered how to come with a more pastoral tone in regards to verses 3 to 5. I've tried. (laughs) I tried really hard, but the prophet is blunt. Therefore, the preacher is blunt. The word of the Lord is sharp. The word of the Lord is a comfort, but the word of the Lord is powerful either way. And my role is to call them as they are. There is a real exhortation here. Remember. Remember the Lord your God. Remember the Ten Commandments. This thing called life is not an exercise in complacency. Not something that is trivial or or to play with. The Lord demands that we are His people. Or there is a day of reckoning coming. We can say that we are on this side of grace, and indeed we are, and we are covered by the blood of Jesus, and yes, we are, and that is true. However, we're not, as Paul says, to sin that grace may abound. What does he say? May it never be. If we are the Lord's people, then we are to love as God loves. If we are the Lord's people, then we are to be merciful to where the Lord is merciful. If we are God's people, we are to be hospitable as the Lord is hospitable. If we are the Lord's people, then we are to... And it goes on and on and on. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. This is what we're to remember. And we're to love our neighbor as ourself because God first loved us. 
This is what we're to remember. And now the prophet moves on past that. And he moves to conclude not only this book, but the Old Testament. And he ends it in a bit of peculiar fashion in verse 6. It says these words, And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. How do you read this? It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, yeah, he's going to turn the hearts of their fathers to their children and the children to their fathers. That sounds like a pretty good plan. It sounds like it's a good thing. This seems right and good. But let us remember, remember what the message of the prophet has been all along in the entirety of this book. Return to the Lord. Remember the Lord. Come back. Remember the Lord. Return and remember who? Your father, your children? No, remember the Lord, your God. The sobering end of the Old Testament is not asking the people of God to long for the day of familiar reconciliation. That may, however, be a result of the day of the Lord, and indeed it will be, but that's not really what's taking place here. That's not what Malachi is longing for. Malachi is longing for the day when the people will have a change of heart. That they will long for the day when the faith of their fathers, when the children turn to the fathers, when they turn back to the faith, when they turn back to what it is that these people were longing for, when they turn back to the hope of a Messiah, that he would change their hearts, that he would take their hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. That they would turn the children back to the fathers so they no longer pine for the things of the creation, but they would pine for the Creator. That they would hope for the Messiah so they wouldn't look to that which was created but look in hope to the faith of their fathers and the expectation of a true Savior. Malachi then points to our hearts. Points to my heart. And he says, what are you longing for? For the next four weeks, what are you hoping for? What is that your heart is aching for? to have what is it that you want out of life what is it that drives you and motivates you in Genesis 3 our pride and arrogance is exposed our love for the created as we see in Malachi 4 is exposed the day of the Lord will come and on that day what we hope for is a reversal that our hearts of stone will be reversed and made hearts of flesh. That we would love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and we would love our neighbor as ourselves. This, this, this is what we hope for. And how do we receive that? Because Emmanuel will come, and the day of the Lord will arrive. You see, ultimately then we hope for a Savior. We, we hope for a Messiah. We hope that our hearts will be turned because Jesus will come and remove our brokenness and he will take that day of reckoning upon himself. And that's just what he has done. That he will indeed restore our hearts. He will be consumed by death and he will carry the ashes of the deceased under his feet 
and he was taken to the grave, only to rise again from that dead three days later, victorious, and seated at the right hand of God the Father. Not only to change our hearts, but to change our lives, to change this world, to change this city, to change our church, to change our families, to change me. So as we look forward to Christmas, may we too remember. May we remember our Savior. May we remember that He has brought us out of our bondage, out of our slavery. The same call that was going on to the people of Israel is the same call to us. Remember what the Lord has done for you, how He has called you out of sin and darkness and the cold of winter and has shown His light of sunshine upon your faith. May we then remember and return and have the sun of righteousness shine His grace upon our faces. For He is the one that changes hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, our glorious King, our Messiah, our Savior, our God, our friend, our brother, oh, how we thank you for your word. How we thank you for the truths that we find in it. So mold us with that truth. May we remember who you are and what you've done. Change our hearts. Change our hearts to long for you. We pray this in Jesus' strong name. Amen.